Hello, and welcome to the Modern Wool Podcast, brought to you by Abundant Earth Fiber. We're sharing the secrets of sustainable small batch wool straight from our mill on Whidbey Island. I'm Lydia Christiansen. Thanks so much for listening. You're listening to episode four of the Modern Wool Podcast. In this episode, I'll be spinning a yarn about spinning yarn. I'm going to be telling some stories about hand spinning that you don't have to be a spinner to appreciate. I'll talk also about creativity and how that affects us here at the mill. And I'll present an opportunity for you to try out the role of yarn designer in creating your own special small batch of roving or yarn. announcement to make. We are so excited to announce we have a new way to contact us. My amazing tech department, aka Alan, has set us up with a fancy new Google Voice phone number that will take voicemail and text. We also have an email that's uh, wool at AbundantEarthFiber.com, which you can also use to reach us We want to hear from you. We want to hear your questions, your comments, um, any ideas, stories that you have to share related to the Modern Wool Podcast. The new phone number. Are you ready? It's 619-516-WOOL. That's 619-516-9665. So go ahead, call it in, guys. Call, text, email, send us your thoughts. We really want to hear from you. And your voice could be on our next episode of the Modern Wool Podcast. Right now, I'll share with you a question that came in from Emily of J&E Homestead. Emily didn't tell us where she's from, but I just assume that if you don't tell us where you're from, you probably don't want us to know. So this question is from Emily. Here we go. Hi, Leah. My name is Emily, and I am of J&E Homestead. So glad I found your podcast because my husband and I are in the very early planning stages of our mill, and uh, we are new to wool. So we raise alpaca usually on our farm, and we have angora goats, but we know that with the mill, we'll be opening our doors to wool, and so your podcast is wonderful for that. Um, I have listened to them, and I have questions about the fertilizer water that you had created. Um, If you had neutralized that prior to putting it on the plant, um, and if you did kind of roughly what you used, and then um, if you've ever tried to sell it as a fertilizing product, um, that would be great if you could uh, explain that a little. And I have another question about water filtration. So in the planning stages of our mill still, we are looking at what it would cost us to purchase the water from the city, but then we are on septic. And I know with the hot water and the chemicals and things, that may not be our best option. So we were looking at possibly filtering the water and reusing it looking to see if you have any experience in that or if you have a direction that you can point us in 
Um, if we are, need to really focus on getting the large material out of the water, like the sand and grit, or if it really is a pH type issue um, that we need to focus on. So thanks so much. Hey, Emily, great questions. And congratulations on your new endeavor with the mill. Your first question was about the fertilizer water and did we dilute it with anything? I never have. I just, I figure it's already diluted because of all the water that the wool is soaking in. I just assume that the fertilizing power in there is already diluted. So I just never have and it hasn't been a problem. As far as selling it, I never have gone to that level because I don't feel educated enough about selling that type of product. I don't really understand the regulations around that or labeling requirements. And also, I feel like if I'm going to put my name on something like that, I should probably um, understand in more detail what's in the fertilizer and, and be able to speak to the 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 contents or the strength of it. And I really can't do that. So for now, it's just for my own use. I, I would be so interested if anybody out there went to that level of research to figure those things out. I'm definitely interested in, in whatever you find out. That's not something that we're going to sell, but interested in somebody else pursuing that is what I'm trying to say. And the second part of the question was about filtering and reusing the dirty scour water and any recommendations on that. So the bigger concern being on a septic is filtering out the hair and the grit. The pH, in my opinion, is about cutting the grease to get it off the wool. Um, the septic is where you want to protect hair and grit. I mean, even, even non-fiber mill people uh, homes on a septic, other businesses, you don't want that stuff going down there. And I'm just saying to protect the septic, a filter box is ideal and totally happy to share the information about our filter box. I think I could take a picture or, or maybe you could send me an email, Emily, so I can send you back a photo of our filter box and you could have it fabricated. A metal worker will be able to easily put it together for you. And your septic guys um, or gals, whoever's, <laughs> whoever's doing, I just thought of a funny septic story. Um, whoever's doing your septic can help you get that installed. A, a plumber could, might be able to help you with that too. Okay. Funny septic story unrelated to your question, Emily. Um, we have a fantastic guy in the area who, who looks in on our septic. And he happened to come by my house one time when I had just picked up a bale of raw wool and it was sitting in my garage. And he came by and he, he just was so confused by that bale. And he said, what, what are you doing with that? Doesn't that smell bad? <laughs> and I said, it smells like money. You're one to talk. <laughs> and he just, he laughed and, you know, we all have our things, right? Well, anyway, um, protect that septic, Emily. Look into, um, ask your, you know what? The local septic companies, they don't understand what fiber mills are. I don't, I doubt they would have any information from you, but it doesn't hurt to ask or give them a heads up on what you're planning to do. They might have information, um, but certainly um, send me an email and I can get back to you with an image of ours at least. We'll go from there. Now, I know a lot of you guys out there have been scouring wool because I'm seeing pictures on Instagram. I've gotten a few emails. Um, please call it in and tell us 
you're scouring stories. I specifically want to hear stories about either the first time that you've scoured wool or a memorable time that you have scoured wool, good or bad. We want to hear it all. All right, there's your task. Call, text, email your scouring stories, please. We want to hear all of them. And now on to the storytelling. The first story I'm going to tell you happened to me um, several years ago, and I've since written a blog post about this story, and I titled it, The Art of Letting Go. I once took my spinning wheel to a nearby farm for a weekend event. People traveled from urban areas to see, taste, and touch local agriculture. I sat under my canopy selling yarn and offering spinning demonstrations while looking out over a corral of alpacas. A man and a woman on holiday from the East Coast eyed my wheel with curiosity. When asked if either of them would like to try it, the woman excitedly sat down. I helped her feel the rhythm of the wheel and the movement of the roving. She quickly progressed to drafting, which is thinning the fibers, when I noticed the tension mounting in her shoulders and her brow. The roving was moving faster than she wanted it to, and her response was to grasp it tighter as if forcing it to stay would allow her more time to do the work of drafting. Instead, the uncooperative roving turned to knots, and tighter and tighter it twisted on itself. Her husband, who was standing nearby, stepped in closer, rested his hand on her shoulder, and pointed at each knot as it moved towards the bobbin. Look, he said. There goes Joey off to kindergarten. Let him go. Look, there he is with his driver's license. It's okay, let him go. In his sacred moment of understanding, they looked at each other, and then they looked at me. They explained to me how their only child was leaving that summer for college, and the hardest part was simply letting go. The thing about hand spinning is that you cannot successfully spin a yarn without letting go over and over and over. In the exact moment in which roving becomes yarn, there is a life in the fiber, much like a thin stream of water falling over a smooth stone. It bounces, it wobbles, it rushes into its new form. Controlling the consistency of the yarn is a matter of feeling for the right number of fibers, allowing it to keep its momentum, and then at the perfect moment, letting go. Whether by hand or machine, this is the point when the fiber has been loosened from the roving and allowed to join the energy of the twist. No matter what shape it becomes, it's letting go that allows great change to take place. No matter our circumstances, life is in constant motion, like water. And letting go is not quitting. Letting go is allowing things to be imperfect. When things don't turn out exactly the way you want them to, letting go creates space for observation and reflection and revision. Letting go is acknowledging that the pace of life is often not ours to control. And in order to move with it, grow with it, learn from it, create with it, we have to let go and just allow some things to be imperfect. We can be in a river without trying to move it 
or control it. That's what I see and feel when I handspin. I see water, and it feels like a river moving over smooth stone. All you spinners out there, what do you see in that moment when roving becomes yarn? How do you describe that feeling? If you've got a story or an example that you'd like to share, a way that you relate with hand spinning, please call, text, email, tell us your stories. We want to hear it. My next story is called The Broken Wheel, and it took place many years before that last story took place. A beat-up, broken-down cardboard box sat on my doorstep with layers and layers of packing tape holding it together. I couldn't wait to cut through that tape. I knew what was inside that box. I knew there was a spinning wheel in there. Just a few weeks before this box landed on my doorstep, I had mentioned to Alan that I was having a strange fascination with spinning wheels and that I thought I might like to try and learn how to use one. Well, the universe blinked, and there I was reading an email from a relative I hadn't seen or spoken to in over a decade. She asked me if I would be interested in some of her old fiber arts tools and books, including a spinning wheel. I tore into that box, not exactly knowing what I would find inside. And what I found inside were puzzle pieces to a spinning wheel wrapped in brown paper and masking tape. I laid them all out in front of me. And you know what? It was like one of those tests they give you where they give you too much information and you're not sure which pieces you should pay attention to or not pay attention to. I didn't know what I didn't know. I just knew I wanted to learn. Some of the pieces looked broken. Others didn't seem to match the others in color. Not knowing how the pieces fit together forced me to learn a little bit about wheel mechanics. It took me days of looking at different styles of wheels and comparing them to my unlabeled parts before I finally had a wheel assembled. There were no brand markings. The orifice was gouged from years of use, and only bits of worn leather were left to hold the flyer in place. The bobbins were chipped. The tension just seemed totally out of my hands, but it was my first wheel, and I was determined to spin something on it. So I tied a long leader thread onto a bobbin. I slid it onto the flyer, and I pressed down with my foot. Whirr, wobble, wobble, creak, snap. The yarn broke. The yarn broke. It wasn't even a roving. The wheel didn't sound right. I knew I was doing something wrong. So I tried again. Whirr, wobble, wobble, creak, snap. I changed this, adjusted that, tightened this, fixed that. Again and again, I got the same results. Whirr, wobble, wobble, creak, snap. My reaction at the time was to feel embarrassed, ashamed of myself. I had been so drawn to this thing and so excited, and I couldn't even work the wheel in the most basic way. Maybe I just didn't know how I was supposed to do it. I decided to improve my skills by practicing on a drop spindle. I sent Alan out to the garage, and in five minutes, he made one with a dowel, 
an eye hook, and a round piece of wood as the weight. Using that simple drop spindle, I figured out how to bring the leader up through the hook, work one thin piece of roving at a time, thinning it, twisting it, thinning it, twisting it. I remember I was spinning a very dark black-brown wool that someone had given me. It wasn't pretty. The yarn that I made, it wasn't even thick and thin. It was thick and thicker. There were kinks and slubs and all kinds of gnarliness. Even though my yarn was ugly, I was proud. I knew what it felt like to draft and thin the fibers and then wrap them around the spindle and move on to the next section. I got it. I figured it out. I understood what I needed to do. And I felt proud. So back to the old wheel. I went optimistic, relieved that I had figured it out. And whirr, wobble, wobble, creak, snap. After days and weeks of feeling ashamed, embarrassed, pushing myself to the point of frustration, and thinking that maybe spinning was just above me, and that I just might not be able to figure it out. Finally, after all that frustration, I knew that that problem was not my fault. This wheel was broken. Discouraged, disappointed, and still frustrated, I put that old wheel away for good and I never touched it again. Curiosity is ignited when neither the tools, materials, nor ourselves get in its way. As long as you can stay curious, you'll be able to move forward. No matter your skill level or experience, curiosity feeds creativity. Stay curious and you'll stay creative. Thankfully, in time, my disappointment faded and I found myself wondering about new wheels. My curiosity was, in fact, greater than my frustration. And I set my sights on the beautiful maple wood Lendrum wheels. Redemption arrived in time for my birthday, and a brand new box sat on my doorstep with a bright red Canadian maple leaf. I think of this Lendrum as my first real spinning wheel. The difference this time was that it took minutes to set up, and before the sun set on that first day, I was spinning real yarn. I have come to believe through my own experiences that real self-confidence and affection for yourself comes from being creative in ways that you care about. Making things that you actually love. We have lots of words in our language that circle around creativity. Art, craft, invention, expression, inspiration, talent. Originality, innovation, maker, designer, scientist, imagination. I'm genuinely fascinated by these words and terribly curious about what they mean to other people. I just know these are words that mean different things to different people. And I would love to hear your thoughts on art versus craft, specifically those two words I think about a lot. How are they related? How are they different? And how are they a part of your life? 
If you have any thoughts or stories, questions or ideas about the words art and craft, please call, text, email, let me know. I want to hear everything. I'm not sure if I imagine it or if it's real, but sometimes I pick up on a little bit of competition or uh, maybe frustration between people who identify as artists towards people who identify as crafters and vice versa. Maybe you've noticed it. The words that we use to describe artists versus inventors, they're different, right? There's different types of creativity. It's all good. I love it all. There's an open-ended type of creativity that's about discovery and self-expression. And then there's this inventive, problem-solving creativity. Building, constructing, solving problems. These are two distinct creative languages that stem from right brain and left brain dominance. They're so different from each other, but they are both creative. We are all creative. No matter which creative words you feel most drawn to, there is creativity in all of us. This became clear to me when my husband and I started working closely together on building our mill. He is totally a left brain creative, and I am the right brain creative. He loves the planning and research of problem solving. His creativity explodes when he's putting ideas down on paper and planning a project. The process for him is just a finishing touch. For me, on the other hand, especially when I'm working on my own personal projects, creating is all about discovering or expressing something. I find the open-ended projects the most rewarding. My plan changes a dozen times before I even get to the finish. Can you see how that would be maddening for my husband, for someone who's put so much creativity into the planning stage? And can you see how all that pre-planning would be frustrating to me when my creativity is alive, when my senses are engaged, the information is coming in through my hands and my eyes? my sense of smell and touch. That inspires me to know what decisions to make, and I need to feel free to make as many changes along the way as I want. Both creative languages are effective and beautiful, even though it's easy to be frustrated with each other, especially if we're trying to work on the same project at the same time. But the amazing thing that's happened over time for us As we've both learned to appreciate our differences, we've also started to become a little bit more like each other. And that's a good thing. I'm still a right brain dominant and I'll always be. He's still left brain dominant and will always be. But now there's just more balance between us and it's easier to let go of the things we don't need to control. What creative style are you? No matter what your skill level, or creative style, real self-confidence and love for yourself comes from being creative in ways that you love. You can't sub in someone else's passion or goals. You can't shortcut the investment of time required. In order to achieve real self-confidence and pride, you have to know what you want and be willing to stick with it over time. In time, your skills become fluent. Those frustrations that keep popping up eventually stop getting in your way. 
Fluency gives you the freedom to really create things intentionally. And not somebody else's intention, your intention. Your navigational tools, those funny words, right and wrong, they become what you decide they are, one project at a time and wherever your curiosity leads you. For the past few months, I've been gathering information about curiosity and creativity in the Small Batch Wolf community. We published a survey on our website called the Wool Apprentice Survey because we wanted to learn what you are all curious about. For a long time now, we've considered what it might look like if we transformed our mill into a school and started offering workshops, maybe apprenticeships. So we've been asking these three questions. What's your connection with fiber? What are you interested in learning? And how would you most likely participate in workshops or experiences at the mill? Oh, the survey is still active. If you want to participate, you can find the link on our website. It's super fast and easy. It's just a multiple choice and takes less than two minutes to answer all three questions. I thought I might share some of the results we've gathered so far from the survey. To date, we've had 210 people respond, and we'd love more. If you're up for it, take a few minutes and let us know what you think. Okay, so of the 210 people who responded, 80% identify as knitters. Surprising that it's not 100%, right? 80%. Um, Next highest, 51% who identify as spinners and 30% identify as weavers. Um, And yeah, guys, this is like a pick all that apply kind of situation. Spinners and weavers are also knitters, so it's not exclusively you know, one or the other. I think it's also worth mentioning that 14% of our audience identified as fiber farms and 2% identify as fiber mills. So not bad. That's pretty good. The top three topics of interest, what you're most curious about are this. 78% identified yarn design as their number one topic of interest. That would be fiber blends and yarn construction, how and why yarn is made the way that it is, yarn design. 72% identified with dyeing as the most interesting topic. And 67%, I think this one's really interesting, have a curiosity about sourcing local. I hear that a lot from people. I want to support local, but how do I do it? That question gets asked a lot. Well, I've taken this information and yeah, please continue to fill out that survey. It's really great information for us. But of these top three items of interest, we are developing some opportunities this summer to get involved, starting with yarn design. From June 1st to July 31st, we'll be holding a small batch event at our mill. This is literally your opportunity to try out the role of yarn designer. What does that actually mean? It means that we can turn your clean fiber or clean fiber that we source for you into your own custom blends of roving or yarn. There's no minimums. So you can do a project size quantity of yarn if you want. Keep it small. The small batch event Like I said, it starts June 1st. It must be clean fiber. 
So if you've bought some raw wool from a local farm or you have it stashed away, now's your chance to get it clean, scour it. The fiber must be clean and it is subject to evaluation before processing. I'm going to have to take a look at it before we run it through the machines. We will have a design consultation phone call before we do that. So everybody who registers for this this event is going to get a phone call from me. And we will spend time one-on-one on the phone talking about your specific design and working out the details and making choices together about what fiber, what blends, what construction. And you can be creative in any way you want. If you want to plan creatively in advance and let us make it for you, we can do that. If you want to leave it open-ended and let us discover what the fiber can become, we can do that too. This small batch event is intended for you to have a chance to be creative and play with fiber and try out the role of yarn designer. So get curious. What textures do you like in yarn? What about color? Is there a type of fiber that you're curious about or a fiber blend you've always wanted to try? Think about twist, engage, yardage, number of plies. We can customize all of that for you. So let's do this. Let's design something together at our small batch event that starts June 1st, 2019. I wanted to give you a little time to prep for this because um, this is a great opportunity to get out to your local farms, buy some special raw wool, and have it clean in time for this event. And all you out there who've already been scouring wool, this is the chance to do something special with it. Maybe you'll want it blended Maybe you just want it carded and pin drafted into a nice roving you can spin yourself. Or maybe that special batch of wool could become yarn for your favorite project of the year. Obviously, there's limited amount of space in this event. It's a massive effort on our part. It's an intense amount of work, so we can't do this all the time. I mean, don't get me wrong. We love this. We're super excited to do this, but we can't sustain this level of production year round. I mean, we rearrange furniture. It's all hands on deck. We're hustling all day long to make these projects happen. So there's limited space, naturally. We're not going to know until people start registering how many spaces we actually have. It depends on how much wool each person submits, how many people sign up. So the event will start June 1st. And if you're interested in participating, I highly recommend that you go through the registration during the first week of June in case we fill up. We'll even ship your project back to you for free, or you can come by the mill and pick it up yourself, just in time for summer dyeing and all those fall and winter projects. If I've left something out here, you got questions, there's more details coming. We'll have flyers and information on our website very soon. And like I said, get on that newsletter if you're not already. That'll be the best way to hear about these kind of things as soon as they're available. You can show your support for the Modern Wool Podcast by shopping sustainable small batch yarns on our website, AbundantEarthFiber.com. All right, that does it for this episode. Everyone, please stay curious, stay creative. I'm Lydia Christiansen. Thank you so much for listening in. Bye.